All right. If you have a Bible, and turn to Philippians chapter 2, please. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And the message is entitled, A Call to Unity. Paul the Apostle has um, a very um, practical understanding about the human race and man. Basically, the problem is that one of the problems a man has is he can't ever have any lasting unity. There are sin nature, our, 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 our difficulty with other people. It just seems that um, a man can't get along in many different ways. As long as there are people, there will always be problems. As long as everything goes our way, we're all united. Some people have an ideal about the New Testament. Sometimes they say, well, you know, we need to go back to the New Testament church. Are you serious? It was all jacked up. You want to start with the Epistle of the Corinthians? <laughs> they have this ideal about the New Testament church. Listen, the church is made up of sinners. You want a perfect church? Don't join it. It's the way it is. The majority of people are always either defending themselves or just finding fault in others. That's our human nature at one point or another. The majority of the epistles are polemic, combating attacks against the gospel or full-blown-out heresy. The focus of chapter 1 has been Christ our life. Now the focus in chapter 2 is Christ our mind. Paul just finished admonishing the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, to live out Christ by their conduct worthy of the gospel, consisting of the picture of the worthy conduct, the particulars of the worthy conduct, and the privilege of the worthy conduct. Paul builds on the theme of unity regarding the teaching of the gospel now in the first chapter. Verse 27, where it says that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's dealing with their unity in Christ regarding the members of the body. Many members, one body, one head, many members. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. So, let's examine the exhortation regarding unity in Christ that is characterized by three things here in verse 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than themselves. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so the exhortation regarding unity in Christ is characterized by the following. The provisions of unity in verse 1. The expectation for unity in verse 2. And the application for unity in verse 3 and 4. The provisions of unity comes first in verse 1. Notice the Apostle Paul stated the first element of their unity each of them had experienced. This is the bottom line. This is personal experience that he's dealing with here in verse 1. Listen to the words, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ. Paul used the word, therefore, which is both a connective and conclusive word. What Paul is going to say is related and looks back to the previous section of verse 27 to 30 of chapter 1. It's like a choo-choo train hooked up. The worthy conduct of the believer for the faith of the gospel that we mentioned already in verse 27. The fearless stand against the adversary that persecuted them in verse 28 through 30. What Paul is going to say also is the conclusion of what precedes. The four spiritual benefits notice listed are the result of standing fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel of verse 27 of chapter 1. 
now the very same unity of one spirit and mind that enabled them to stand against the adversaries was to enable them to stand in unity with each other, resisting the unity that our sin nature manifests innately. Paul, in using this word, if, does not imply something that is doubtful, but something that is absolutely certain. This indicates a positive affirmation of the fact. It would be better translated since, consequently, or in view of the fact, building on what he has just said. Paul said the first advantage a believer has is the consolation in Christ. Consolation means encouragement or exhortation. Here the better is exhortation or, or encouragement. Uh, every believer has been encouraged by Jesus personally. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know what Paul is talking about. Be it in difficult or fearful times, times of wanting to do your own will or not denying yourself, he's there. Paul was afraid at Corinth, if you remember when he arrived at Corinth. But he was encouraged by Jesus that no one would harm him, for he had many people in that city in Acts 18, 9 through 10. And he stayed there for a year and a half, and God established a church through Paul. He encouraged him. The Philippians had experienced this encouragement in Christ. Being born again, living in the sphere of a personal relationship with Jesus. See, you can join a church, you can go to a church, but if you're not born again, you're looking around at what people are experiencing, but you have no experience of it yourself. It's like trying to eat a donut behind the glass. You see it, your mouth's watering, but you can't touch it. They were not just going to church with other Christians that allowed them to see the benefit in the lives of others and not experiencing themselves. He's talking about people who have been born again, walking with Jesus. They experienced the encouragement of Christ to live out the worthy conduct that he just mentioned. Just as you have been encouraged by Jesus. How many times Jesus has encouraged us that we want to just say, I'm not, I'm, I'm done. Or, you know, I, I, I can't take this. They experience encouragement in their consolation in Christ, being assured that God knew them. Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit themselves bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. For me to say that I know God is no big deal. It's really not even valid. The important thing is, the God's Spirit says, I know you, and he deals with my heart. Then, when I say, I know God, it's because he deals with me. He directs me, he convicts me, he guides me, he reproves me. But if none of that is going on, I can say I know God all day long, and it doesn't mean a thing. Notice the Apostle Paul stated the second element of their unity, each of them had experienced, if any, comfort of love. Paul again uses the word if in a very positive, certain way, affirming the fact. Like the previous one, again, the better translation sins consequently or in view of the fact. And Paul said the second advantage a believer has is the comfort of love. The personal benefit is indicated by the word comfort, paramuthion. It means to speak to someone by coming alongside, close to them, side by side. Parallel parking, alongside the curb. <laughs> Paramedic, alongside a medic. 
paralegal alongside a lawyer. All right? Same kind of idea. To bring about a calm or consoling effect, a persuasive address, if you will. Someone comes alongside you and encourages you, strengthens you, persuades you to move on or to act or to whatever the deal may be. Comfort of love. The noun form appears only this one time in the New Testament here. The source of this comfort, notice it's said to be love. The word for love, again, is agape, indicating God's divine love. This love um, surpasses our own carnal, earthly love that is selfish and looks out for self first. The middle letter of sin is I. The trinity of darkness, me, myself, and I. That is the natural man, the natural woman. We have a potential for good because we're creating in the image and likeness of God. But our bent is towards evil. Darkness attracts us more than light in the world. And even as Christians, if we don't walk in the Spirit, darkness will pull you. You still have a sin nature. The Philippians had experienced this comfort of love for themselves. This was binding them together. The consolation of Christ, the comfort of love, great unity. When some of them perhaps were rejected and disowned by their husband, their wife, their families for becoming Christians, that was a common um, occurrence of that day. Especially if they were Jews, the early Christians were all Jewish. And when a Jew accepted Christ, they had a full-blown funeral for a Jew. Even today they do that. When others uh, condemned them for their past life, even though Jesus had forgiven them. Paul prayed their love might abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment that they might prove or approve the things that are excellent be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. See, Jesus comforted the woman caught in adultery with his love, riding on the dirt, on the ground. Raising his head says, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Continued to ride one by one, they just walked away. What was he riding on the ground? No one knows. Probably the latest sin of each one of them. That kind of make you walk away. By not condemning her, by offering her repentance. Today, people tell you not to judge. But the Bible tells us to judge. If you love somebody... If they're in trouble, you tell them they're in trouble. If they're doing something wrong, you tell them they're doing something wrong. You cannot be one with God without repentance or acknowledging your sin. It's impossible. The world today is trying to obtain cheap grace. You can't have it that way. God loves you so much, he tells you how messed up you are. Then he tells you he can fix you. But he must make a judgment for you to acknowledge your need. Today's society has chosen to reject any form of absolute truth, objective truth, any absolute right or wrong. And we're living a life under relativism, situational ethics, value clarifications. It sounds good at first, but when a society continues to live too long in that, it will collapse. It will collapse. It cannot continue because nobody has to tell the truth. Nobody has to acknowledge evil. That's why Obama always says, I misspoke. He never said I lied. You create a whole new vocabulary. 
No terrorism, overseas contingencies. You create your new vocabulary. You raise up your new army. You care less about old school. And the same thing's happening within the church today. Redefining the church, redefining the Christian, redefining the scriptures. Really? Hmm. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus and have a comfort of love, we must be sincere and truthful towards others in the body of Christ. With meekness, gentleness, prayer, but faithful. Notice the Apostle Paul stated the third element of their unity that each of them had experienced if any fellowship of the Spirit. Paul, for the third time, was using here the word, if again, an affirmation, positive, no doubt. So, once again, since. Paul said the third advantage a believer has is the fellowship of the Spirit. This um, incredible personal benefit is indicated by the word fellowship, koinonia. That means, it's a very rich word. It means communion, sharing in common, participation. It's even used for the contribution of money and different things. It's, it's very rich. Um, the fellowship of the gospel that was used in chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, it's used for the fellowship in Christ and his sufferings in chapter 3, verse 10. The unity of believers is brought about Notice by the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. It is not brought about because we're so nice. It is not brought about by any man or woman, but by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is capitalized there, indicating the third person of the Trinity here. Proper name, title. We disrupt the unity of the Spirit. That's what we do. If we do anything, is we disrupt the unity the Spirit brings into our life, in our family, or the church. We do not create it. Paul told the Ephesians, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3. The word endeavoring means being diligent to guard it. Because our nature is to disrupt unity. Notice Paul indicated the third person of the Trinity that unites the entire body of believers, the church. He is called by many names, the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 2.11, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8.9, the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews 10.29, the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8, and he is ever-present. He's called the eternal spirit in Hebrews 9.14. There is to be a dependency on him for guidance, empowerment, and yielding. The Holy Spirit spoke out in Acts 13 to separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And he was calling them out to the mission field. The Holy Spirit speaks very clearly, very distinctly that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, 1 Timothy 4.1. Very clearly. He is the representative of Christ. He never speaks of himself. He never glorifies himself. He doesn't add to the words of Jesus. He doesn't take away from them. He doesn't contradict them. He is the silent witness of Jesus. We are not to worship Anybody but Jesus. We are not to glory in anybody but Jesus. When churches start glorifying the Holy Spirit more than Jesus, you're in trouble. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God. They all have their place. And Jesus has said, he will be just like me, but a different person in number. He is the silent witness of Jesus. Notice the Apostle Paul stated the third element of their unity that each of them had experienced, if any affection and mercy. For the fourth time, again, the word if. 
positive affirmation. Since, consequently, in view of the fact. Paul said the fourth advantage a believer has is the affection of mercy. Paul, in his use of this word affection, means deep emotions felt in the bowels region, the intestines. It's translating the old King James bowels all the time, the visceral area. That's where much of your emotions um, like lust, anger, hatred, fear, or love, empathy, sympathy. The affection that has gripped our heart is to act in a beneficial way, not vengeful or self-beneficial. Paul used it for the affections in Christ that he had for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 8. Same word. Paul qualified these affections by the word mercy, meaning compassion or pity. These emotions um, and affections are not mere emotions for emotion's sake, but one that moves you and I to act for the benefit of others. Sometimes people get emotional and they lose it. There's nothing wrong with emotions. There is something wrong with emotionalism. Ladies, you're top on the list. You are more emotional than men. Driving down the street, I tell my wife, I'm hungry. She goes, I'm starving. Once a month, you ladies have a hard time. You're more emotional than the other days. <laughs> God has created us differently. We're more stable. God puts a compliment, a husband and wife together. And so you ladies have to make sure that the decisions that you make, you make by the word of God, not your emotions. Because when you make decisions based on your emotions, you get yourself in trouble. Does that mean men cannot make that mistake? Sure they can, but they're not as vulnerable or as subject to emotions as women are. Once again, God did not make a mistake. He created you that way for the home, for the marriage. But sin nature complicates everything. You understand? If it wasn't for sin nature, everything would be okay. <laughs> it's sin nature that messes it all up. But now being born again... We can counter that through the new divine nature. Understanding our fallenness and the incredible creative order that God has placed between men and women. We're to be like men who have gone to war and been in battle together. They have an incredible unity and bond due to the common experience that few ever experience. This is what you and I are to experience as Christians in the body of Christ. A bond, a unity that looks out for one another. All of us um, have been encouraged in our lives by the consolation of Christ in many ways. In our daily walk, our, our daily family roles of husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever. In our temptations, in our testings. That sometimes come our way, be it by other people, be it by Satan, or by God allowing certain things to come. In the difficult times of divorce, by an adulterous spouse or unbeliever, or other things, you fill in the gap. We have all experienced the consolation of Christ. It's you and him. No one else can step in. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Great counsel. Who of us has not been comforted by the love of Christ at different times in the years that we have walked with Christ? Just reflecting on the forgiveness of our sins, 
That's all we need. If we had nothing else, that would be sufficient. By the empowerment to go through intense times of personal attacks or spiritual warfare, by the peaceful gratitude that overcame us through a comfort of God's agape love in a most vulnerable time, a difficult time. And only you know that. It's ingrained in your heart and in your mind. You keep a dairy, you've written it down, a book. First Corinthians thirteen seven through eight gives us the incredible potential of agape love of God. It's summed up like this at the bottom. Agape bears all things, believes all things, holds all things. Agape endures all things. Agape never fails. So whenever I've yielded to agape love, I've never failed. When I haven't yielded, I have failed every time. And so it's wise for me to yield to God's agape love. But I warn you, it will cost you. It'll cost you your selfishness, <laughs> as we'll see. It'll cost you the pain you'll miss, the misery. Wow. How many times did we have no one around us, but the Holy Spirit came alongside us to strengthen us, to stop us? to rebuke and correct us, to give us wisdom, to let us know that we are not alone. In John fourteen seven, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Great comfort. These are the provisions that we have all received from God for our unity in the body. We're all united in this. We, we say amen. Notice, secondly, comes the expectation for unity in verse 2. The Apostle Paul expected the Philippians to be of the same mind. Listen to his word. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Paul is... Um, really expressing um, the very focus of Christ that he'll clearly indicate here in verse 5. The mind of Christ is what he's focusing on. He'll make the application there. But when he talks about this, and we'll see the word uh, thinking, it's, it's the same word all the way through. It's the mind of Christ. This is what he's dealing with. Paul, having listed four spiritual benefits in verse 1 as the basis of the unity in Christ, Paul now gives a fourfold expectation to manifest and maintain unity in the body of Christ in verse 2. You see, Paul seems to balance two lists, but they're not equal parallels. But he balances them out with force. The 4 in verse 1 indicates different spiritual benefits we as believers receive from Jesus. The 4 in verse 2 have one idea in mind. It's this. Minding the same thing with the mind of Christ it's not a progression of things. But they all identify that one thing. That's what it's focused on. Notice Paul comforted the Philippians as their spiritual father. But he also confronts them here with full authority. This is an imperative command, not a suggestion. Fulfill my joy. When your father said, make me proud, it wasn't a suggestion. When your father said, I want that room all clean by the time I get back, it wasn't a suggestion. 
word fulfill means to make full or complete. The idea is one of to be filled up to the top, to the brim. You get a glass and, 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 and you fill it to the top and you have about a quarter inch. That's not what it is. You fill it to almost coming over the brim. That's, that's, that's complete. Full. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, as you know in Galatians 5.22. There's only one fruit, agape love. Everything is after that are manifestations of agape love. We'll see that as we move along. Now notice, for Paul, it wasn't enough that they were in Christ, but that they impart Christ's consolation or encouragement to each other in the body. This is what verse 2 is about. Okay? We've received all this in verse 1. Now we need to make sure we give this stuff out. All right? You want to make sure that you're not a dead sea. You want to make sure you're you're a sea of Galilee. Where you receive water from Hermon and two other tributaries and you give water out. The sea of a dead sea just takes that water in, doesn't give nothing out, so it's dead. A lot of salt, minerals. This unity produces strife, envy, and pride. Unity is based on fellowship with God and man, resulting in joy. First John chapter one, verse three through four tells us. The Philippians had a problem with unity. Now, it's called the epistle of joy, but it's not the joy of the Philippians, it's the joy of Paul. And he's not in the uh, Radisson, he's in Mamertine prison. The Philippians had a problem. They had no unity. There was all kinds of disunity. In fact, in, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. There's the word again, mine, in the Lord. Two ladies having a problem. Crawford and baby Jane, same thing. Like-minded means to agree together, cherish the same view, be in harmony. Linsky, the Greek scholar, says the following. Listen closely. The idea... Express is not only thinking the same thing, having the same thoughts or feelings, but minding the one thing with the same feelings and thoughts that of humbly esteeming others more than self to be dealt with in verse 3 and 4. This is the one thing that he's driving at. This is the present active tense to be ongoing. A total inward attitude of mind and disposition of will resulting in the overflowing joy of Paul. What greater joy can be given to a father or mother than to see their children excel as human beings? To do things well. What joy that they're doers of what they've been taught. Absolutely. The word is found 10 times in the epistle, a total of 23 times in all his other epistles altogether. It's key. Now notice the apostle Paul emphasized the same mind to the Philippians by indicating some things that involve the same mind. Having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul complimented and amplified what being like-minded involves, having the same mind by having the same love. Once again, the word for love is agape. Indicated in the comfort of love. God's divine love for lost mankind. This is very distinct from the sexual love, the word eros, the emotional love, phileo, and the family love, storgo. Different Greek words. You see, we love our dog, we love our wife, we love our husband, and we love our in and out hamburger. We use the same word. Now, hopefully you love your wife a little more than a hamburger. 
Um, the Greek has distinct words. The best way to define agape love is by the words of Jesus. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Agape is characterized by an expression from one person to another. It is characterized by tangible evidence of that love. It is characterized by a desire that the person be benefited by the expression and provision of that love gift. It's always for the other person. This is agape love. The tense again is a participle present active to be ongoing. Every believer has the capacity of yielding to God's agape love. But it doesn't mean that we do every time. We have the ability to pass every test that God prepares us for. But it doesn't mean we will. Because we have our own will, right? We cannot yield to God. We can deny obeying God. And so that doesn't please God. That doesn't help us pass the test. This agape love is to be the distinguishing mark of the church and believers. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You have agape love one for another. It's a distinguishing mark. Now, you have to be careful. A lot of people try to push the envelope with agape love. And today, under the banner of relativism inside the church, they say, well, let's not fight over doctrine. Let's just love one another. No, no, no. That's not rational and that's not biblical. For you to be able to love one another in God's agape love, you have to know what God tells you to believe. Do not ever swap love for doctrine. They're Twinkies. They go together. Okay? Doctrine is absolutely imperative. And out of doctrine comes an understanding of God's agape love. So it's not one or the other. They both go together. In the Christian community of emergentism, really submergentism, um, does it to not make judgments, to be like the world, to be accepted, to not offend people, to not scare the big tithers away, upset them. Wow. What spiritual cowards. Past Christians died for their faith. Christians have suffered tremendously. And you're afraid of offending someone with the gospel? My Lord. God help you. Paul complimented and amplified what being like-minded involves by being one accord. Being of one accord. The phrase um, one accord is made up of two Greek words. The word son, which means um, with, and the word sukos, soul. Literally of one soul being united in the mind of Christ. Unanimous. Absolutely one. They look back to and place off the one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel back in chapter 1 verse 27. That's when it was first mentioned. The composite of man is body, soul, and spirit. We're an inferior trinity. Okay? Our body is amoral. It's a mere instrument to communicate our intents and our actions. And through our sin nature, it's used to commit acts and deeds of sin. But there's nothing sinful about my body. It's like a glove. Okay? Or like a pen. I can take a pen. I can write poetry. I can write dirty words. I can't blame the pen. Okay? 
Our soul involves our intellect, emotion, and wills. It involves our decision-making. And due to our sin nature, it corrupts our intent, our motives, and our actions. Our spirit was dead in trespasses and sins, having no capacity to please God until we were made alive, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and imparting to us a new divine nature to be Christ-like and be able to live a godly life. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 tells us. Notice Paul complimented and amplified what being like-minded involves. One mind. Not only one soul. In our intellect, emotion, and will, we, we submit it to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God that's alive now. My life is no longer ruled by my emotions, my will, and my intellect, but it's subject to the Spirit of God, the new man. Obeying the word of God, the new standard. I calibrate my mind and my heart to the new standard. The absolute objective truth of God's word. So the phrase one mind here means to direct one's mind to one thing. The same as the phrase like-minded, a key word appearing 12 times in the epistle. The mind of Christ. This also looks back and plays off of the one spirit, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel back in chapter 1, verse 27. The problem of the Philippians, again, was their lack of unity by not putting on the mind of Christ. Now, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, chapter 2, verse 5, Philippians is going to tell us, put it on. We'll be looking at that next study. You can have the fastest car in the garage. If you don't get in and turn the key, it's not going to help you. You've got to put it on. The tense is another participle present active thinking. The one thing. Ongoing. Continuous. Thinking. The one thing. This one thing is leading to humanity. Humbly esteeming others better than ourselves that, again, will be stated here in 3 and 4. Again, the two women, Odie and Syntyche, they're having a difficult time. But I think it was more than just the two ladies because he's dealing with many issues here. It's like a good marriage. Though husband and wife are so vastly different from God's design and his purpose, both are to be united with one mind for the good of each other before self. You're thinking of the other. That's how God made marriage. Too often people are looking around for the right person. If you're single, stop it. Be preparing to be with the right person. Don't be looking for the right person. Make sure you're preparing yourself to be the right person when God brings that mate to you. That's a whole different matter. Different perspective. What a joy it has been to be your pastor for 37 years and to see believers in the body be like-minded, united with each other, depending on each other for the smallest of things. As I think of many different names and families, I think of Pete Mornay, Hank Marquez, who are no longer with us, and many, many others. Just servants of God, and therefore the body of Christ. Willing to do whatever is necessary to help each other. I see it in some of you as you guys serve here and you come. Stepping in when emergencies or crises arise in the life of others without being asked be it illness, accidents, deaths. You're there to benefit that believer. Determining that no person owes you anything because you have done it out of love for God and love for that person. 
First John three, first John chapter one, verse three through four says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Here's the joy. We have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and here's the kicker, with each other. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, some of us wouldn't be in the same room. We have nothing in common. In fact, we'd probably be enemies. <laughs> but the joy that comes being Christians, the common ground, the unity. The joy has been through seeing the difficult times people in the body have gone through. But being united with the mind of Christ, things have been resolved biblically at times. When there has been misunderstandings about certain issues, they have been clarified and resolved by the grace of God, the love of God, and the word of God. As everybody submits themselves to those elements. When there has been dishonesty or lying, people have humbled themselves and confessed and asked forgiveness. It's tremendous. When there has been unfaithfulness in marriages and there has been a willingness to repent and by the guilty party and a willingness to reconcile by the innocent party. What an incredible witness. What an incredible witness. Man, only in Christ, only in Christ. And things are better than they were. Though people don't believe that they are. But only in Christ. No one else. We are to follow this example. Listen to Colossians 3, 13-14. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, agape, which is the bond of perfection. It's the belt that holds everything together. You know, you put your shirt on, you put your, your pants on, all that. But the belt holds everything together. If you don't put that belt on, everything kind of just flops all over the place, right? That's agape love. It holds everything together. That bond of love. The very first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit of agape love is joy. One fruit, agape, it's singular in the Greek. First manifestation, joy. Then follows peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22-23. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8, 10 said. This is the um, expectation for unity to be maintained in the body. Notice thirdly, verse 3 and 4, the application for unity. The Apostle Paul focused on the appropriation based on a proper attitude. This is a key verse for service, by the way. Paul gives the negative first. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. He stated the measure of, of things a Christian is allowed to do, thinking only about himself as part of the body of Christ. The answer is given by the word nothing. <laughs> it means not one thing. Wow. This is the attitude of the old life of sin. Cut me some slack. I'm not perfect. No, you're a Christian, though. He stated the manner a believer is not to do anything through selfish ambition. The phrase means a desire to put oneself forward, indicating a partisan or faction spirit striving. The word appears only one other time in the epistle. In chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the, storm, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my chains. They weren't looking to benefit Paul, but to hurt him. He stated the goal a believer is not to seek 
conceit. It means what is empty and hollow, vainglory. This is the only time it appears in this form here in the New Testament. This involves a prideful, arrogant attitude. Attitude is key. I disciplined my children as they were growing up more severe for their attitude than their action. If you just correct actions, mothers and fathers, the action will manifest itself somewhere else. If you deal with the attitude, the actions go away. Attitude is the heart of it. This is when a person uses a person for self-interest and when the goal is reached, it is not honorable and does not result in sound, lasting satisfaction. It's empty, hollow. Why? Because it does not promote unity, but disunity, contention, carnality. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, verse 3, 1 through 3. Notice Paul then gives a positive second. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. He stated the manner a believer is to do anything and everything as part of the body of Christ. The phrase loneliness of mind means to have a humble opinion of oneself. This is the only time it appears in the epistle, but it appears six other times in the New Testament, Acts 20.19, Ephesians 4.2, Colossians 2.18 and 23, 3.12, and 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Jesus said, I am meek and lonely in heart, Matthew 11.29, were to be like him. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Notice he stated the manner of believers to see everyone in the body. Let each esteem others better than themselves. The word esteem means to consider, deem, or account. Esteeming is a participle here, present middle voice, to be ongoing. And the middle voice always indicates the person has to do it themselves. They're the active ones. They have to make it happen. The word better simply means to excel or be superior. The word appears two other times in the epistle. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ in chapter 3, verse 8. And for the peace of God that surpasses, that's the word, all understanding and prayer in Philippians 4, 7. Then notice Paul focused on the appropriation based on proper motive. First it was attitude, right? Now it's motive. Paul gives the negative again first. Let each one of you look not only for his own interests. He stated, look out. It means to fix attention upon with a desire for and having an interest in. In This is not to be in each of us, emphasizing the individual responsibility and imperative present active ongoing continuously. This is not to be. Our motive should not be only or primarily for ourselves and what we can gain. He stated this as a prohibition, not only for his own interest. The life of selfish carnality. This will create envy, jealousy, fracturing of the body unity. This does not mean that you do not consider or do things for yourself, but rather that you consider others first and you Last, joy, Jesus, others, you, last, joy. <laughs> Notice then Paul gives the positive again, second. 
but also for the interests of others. He stated that our motive should be to edify one another, provoke one another to love, and one another to ensure the unity of the body. Remember, we do not create unity, but disrupt it. We're to give all diligence to care for, to guard, to ensure the unity of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.3. He stated this is the only motive God honors. God is not impressed with what I do or how much I do. God is interested in why I do it. My motive is a love for God and love for my fellow man. Then I may have some reward. The unity of believers is presented as a simile in the Song of Ascent as they made their pilgrimage to um, Jerusalem. Uh, listen to it. In, it's Psalm 133, verse 1 through 3. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, that's the simile, it's introduced by like or as. It is like the precious oil upon the head of running down on the beard the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountain Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Dew, a symbol of God's blessing. This absolute unity that just glorifies God. The proper attitude will result in a proper perspective regarding self. Listen to Romans 12, 3 through 5 and 10. For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone among others among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called in all lowliness of, and gentleness, long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And we urge you, brethren, be reconciled. Or uh, to reconcile, recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. You see, the proper motive will result in the proper actions regarding others. Romans fourteen nineteen says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Romans fifteen one. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greek or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one through 3 Paul was one incredible person. Amazing. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, 2 and 10. And so this is the application of unity to be ensured in the body. So the exhortation that Paul gave regarding the unity here has been characterized by the provisions we have all received from God that are for the unity of the body. The expectation for unity to be maintained in the body and the application of unity to be ensured in the body. Every one of us, without exception. Why? Because we have the same Christ, the same mind, the same spirit, the same word. 
the same eternal life. Therefore, we have been enabled by the grace of God. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love. Deal with our hearts and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that as you continue to deal with us, Lord and Father, as you continue to uh, make yourself known to those that come here and repent and those that continue to grow, that Lord, we would continue to bring glory to you. Help us to obey you and to yield to you that we may see you work in a mighty way. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here tonight by the grace of God. If you don't know him, then God wants to let you know that you are lost in need of forgiveness of your sins. And he wants to give you a heart transplant by grace through faith. And if you will acknowledge that he died in your place, paid the price of your sin and able to save you as he says he can then you can call upon him right now. It's called a prayer of repentance. If this is your desire, this is a simple prayer of repentance you can repeat, and he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.